Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Guardian. We need to make sure that key workers and essential workers uh, in regional towns and that people can live close to where they work. We need to make sure that they're well-located homes as well, which is also what part of our National Housing Accord is about. Hi, I'm Paul Karp, Guardian Australia's Chief Political Correspondent. Today, joining us from Tasmania is Julie Collins, who is the Minister for Housing, Homelessness and Small Business. I've invited Julie on the podcast today because this week, Labor's $10 billion Housing Affordability Future Fund came one step closer to passing the Senate after a deal with the Jackie Lambie Network to support the bill. And that adds further pressure to the Greens to support it. And this week, uh, Minister Collins also hosted the State and Territory Housing Ministers at Parliament House, and all eight of of them wrote to Senators on Wednesday urging them to pass the bill. Welcome, Julie. Thanks, Paul, for having me on, and uh, hello to all your listeners. We've got some of the lowest vacancy rates on record pushing up rents, uh, particularly in capital cities. Uh, House prices are back on the march uh, despite 11 rate rises. I just wanted to start by asking, please, you know, how bad do you think the housing crisis is and will it get worse before it gets better? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, It is uh, really tough out there. We know that far too many Australians are having a really tough time, whether they be renters, dealing with increased rentals, or even actually being able to find anywhere to rent is actually the problem, Uh, or whether you be a mortgage holder dealing with interest rate rises. Uh, We do know that too many Australians are having a difficult time maintaining a safe, affordable place to call home, uh, which is why we do want this bill through the Parliament. Uh, But The thing, I guess, um, that we would say to people is, is, you know, we've inherited huge challenges. Uh, This didn't happen overnight. This has been going on for quite some time, but it is getting more and more difficult. Um, You know, when you've got two-income families uh, contacting people to say, even if we could afford the rent, there's actually nowhere to rent, what we have fundamentally is a big supply issue. We need to get more homes on the ground more quickly. And that's what we've been talking about with, um, you know, state and territory ministers, with the Supply and Affordability Council. You know, we really need to get more homes on the ground. Uh, Compared to the OECD average, Australia has less dwellings per thousand people than most of the other OECD countries average. So, you know, we do have a shortage of dwellings. That has been there for some time. Uh, We know that coming out of the global pandemic, people have wanted more space, and that's really exacerbated what was already a very tight 
tight market. So uh, we need to get that supply on the ground. So we've been working uh, to get supply on the ground as quickly as we can. We moved immediately and unlocked that $575 million because we were hearing from everybody, you know, when we did our jobs in um, the the job summit uh, late last year, you know, people were saying to us, you know, in regional communities, in cities, even if we could get workers, there's nowhere for them to live. Mm. Uh, this is becoming a very serious problem right around the country. Essential workers uh, have nowhere to live in regional communities. And you mentioned uh, working on increasing supply. Uh, this week, the Grattan Institute Chief Executive Danielle Wood called for incentives uh, for the states. So uh, similar to what they do in Canada, uh, should the Commonwealth be paying the states and territories a bonus uh, for, for making more places for people to live? Well, that's why we've done the National Housing Accord in our last budget. I mean, at every opportunity we've had, uh, we have added to what was our election commitments. And we did that with the National Housing Accord, where we've got states, territories and local government. And of course, um, the housing sector, the construction sector and indeed institutional investors signed up. And what the states have committed to as part of the National Accord is about uh, changing systems so that we can get supply on more quickly. And what we saw coming out of National Cabinet last Friday was an agreement uh, to actually action that, to get planning ministers together and to, you know, say, can we do something about getting uh, approvals through the system faster, particularly for social housing? Mm. And uh, National Cabinet uh, also agreed to discuss nationally consistent renters' rights. Uh, now, some jurisdictions limit the frequency of rent rises. Uh, the Only the ACT limits the size of the increases in rent. Now, it's still early days. Uh, you met the other housing ministers uh, this week. But do you think we could see other jurisdictions adopt that measure and put a handbrake on rents? And what do you say to the Greens uh, who claim that this means that a rent freeze is on the table? Well, we obviously had uh, a discussion at the housing minister's meeting last week and uh, prior to that they had a discussion at National Cabinet uh, on the Friday. So, you know, this is the start of uh, the conversation. It's really only been a couple of days. Uh, we had a good discussion uh, at the housing minister's meeting and heard from some of the states about some of the incredible work that some of the states and territories have already done in this area. One of the things that um, we're very confident about is, is that we want to make sure that no renter in Australia loses any rights that they existing have. Um, we want to have some more consistency around it. We got some examples of people who have moved across state jurisdictions that expect some of the processes and laws to be the same from state to state and are quite surprised. Uh, so there was a bit of a willingness from ministers to have some sort of consistency around what can be done. But I think the important thing about the renters stuff, um, Paul, is, is, you know, back to our supply issue. All of the states said the biggest issue for them in terms of rents is there's no supply. They need more rentals on the market. And that is what the Housing Australia Future Fund is about. It's about leveraging uh, all of the investments that local governments, state governments, federal governments, community housing providers are doing and trying to get in some institutional investment. And the point about the Housing Australia Future Fund is, is that it sits there in perpetuity so that you then have the returns of the fund each and every year to give certainty uh, to the institutional investors that there will be returns there ongoing so that they can invest over the long term uh, because the types of institutional investment, uh, they need like 25 years of returns. Uh, so that is the point of the Housing Australia Future Fund and what we want to do. So the way that it's set up means that it'll be hard to be undone 
by any future government and those returns are sitting there uh, in terms of that fund to allow that to occur and get that institutional investment. And the states were really, really supportive of the fund, you know, and as you indicated in your introduction, uh, they all, no matter what state or territory or the colour of the state or territory, understand how important it is uh, that we get this bill through and that we show and prove the concept and try and get that institutional investment we already have some superannuation funds, for instance, investing uh, already in some of the social and affordable housing projects around the country. Um, one of the important things, of course, is, is that mixed tenure works, that we do have a mixture of social, affordable and private rentals. Uh, we know that that model seems to work really well. What does that mix look like? Um, it depends, I guess, on the different projects and how they make them work. Uh, but there's certainly a willingness, particularly from some of the superannuation funds, uh, to make these types of investment. But uh, they need some certainty and we need to be able to do it at scale to try and get a lot of homes on the ground really quickly. So if no, no renters lose rights and you get more consistency, it sounds like improved renters' rights, it's just a question of how far. Uh, but given that's early days, we might move on to the Housing Affordability Future Fund. And, and to explain to listeners, that's the $10 billion uh, proposed fund that will pay out up to $500 million of its earnings uh, every year for social and affordable housing. Uh, now, we've mentioned the, the uh, support around the states and territories. There was also a deal this week that secured the Jackie Lambie Network support. Um, when do you think uh, that bill will come to a vote in the Senate and how close do you think you are to getting the Greens' uh, support to pass it? Well, we obviously have... Um uh, we're really pleased that we've got more support for the bill. Uh, we've had some great discussions across the parliament with um, senators and even members in the lower house. Uh, don't forget we've already passed it through the lower house and we've got every single crossbencher in the lower house to support the bill, as well as, of course, Bridget Archer from the Liberal Party supported the bill. She crossed the floor. And they've done that in talking to them because uh, they realise uh, how challenging the housing situation is in Australia. And they've all said to me that, you know, whilst they may have different views about what the right level of support is, is that they all think that having the bill there in perpetuity with the returns in perpetuity is a good thing. And they all actually say that this new investment is needed. Uh, you know, this investment is on top of all of the other things we are doing. Uh, it is not the only thing, but it is important in terms of making sure that we can uh, get that institutional investment and have the long-term certainty to also grow the community housing sector. Well, you've made a good case for the bill there, but uh, there's still uh, a bit in the dark about uh, whether or not a deal with the Greens might happen. Uh, are you a million miles apart? Their, their demands are quite quite high, $5 billion of direct investment, uh, in, and they also want that rent freeze. Is that just is that just not happening? Well, we've had some really good discussions, as I said, across the parliament. Um, we have moved and we have compromised. We've made concessions. I think there was, a, you know, eight or nine different areas that uh, various crossbenchers wanted us to move on. We've moved on seven or eight of those. So we have moved on quite a few of them. Uh, we obviously, in terms of um, additional investment, announced just an additional $2 billion in additional financing for what we hope will become Housing Australia from 1 July 2024. Uh, so we are um, adding and we have made some concessions. I think the problem here, Paul, is, is that uh, we are moving, not everybody is moving. Uh, we want the bill through. 
Uh, but the really critical point here and what I would say to people, uh, particularly, you know, the, the Liberal senators and the Green senators, is, is we've been in positions before where people have uh, really, I suppose, opposed action. They've had no action instead of some action on policy areas before and it's cost the country dearly. And what I would say to people is, is that, uh, you know, there are a lot of people in Australia who are having a tough time who are going to be dependent on getting uh, housing uh, through this bill. We're talking about 30,000 social and affordable rental homes in the first five years of this fund being up and in existence. And whilst I keep saying it's not the only thing we are doing, and it is not, we are also doing a whole range of other work, uh, when you're talking about adding to supply the 30,000 additional social and affordable rental homes, that is very significant. So I'd say to Liberal senators and to Green senators that they should think very carefully. Um, and, and, you know, it is a big decision, and, uh, but we're talking about $10 billion. It's the single biggest investment from a federal government in social and affordable housing in more than a decade. It is incredibly significant. When you add up what we're doing with the Housing Australia Future Fund, the housing accord, and uh, in terms of the additional financing that we have announced last week, you're talking about the federal government investing in building more homes in five years than the former federal government and all the state and territory governments did combined in a decade. So it's incredibly ambitious. Uh, we know it's ambitious, but the experts tell us it can be done. Uh, we're ambitious because we need to be, because of so many Australians doing it tough, but we also need to be realistic about what is achievable. Uh, we think we've got the balance right with this fund and the other things we're doing, uh, so I would hope that people look at it across the board in terms of everything else that we were doing, as well as the importance of this fund. The independent Senator David Pocock has said he won't oppose the bill, but he's been very critical of the way negotiations have gone. Uh, he said the government won't uh, consider changes recommended by experts like indexing the $500 million uh, disbursement and allowing uh, bigger payouts in, in bumper years. Uh, why, why haven't those ideas uh, featured in the, in the concessions that the, the government has made? Well, we obviously continue to have discussions and uh, to talk about that. I mean, what I would say is is that, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about uh, getting the fund up and established. Uh, there is a review in five years in the fund currently legislated for. Um, you know, we continue to have discussions with people across the board around what does that look like. Uh, but we are talking seriously about an additional half a billion dollars each year in returns from the funds going to social and affordable rentals, uh, in addition to everything else that we are doing. Uh, the Greens uh, call the future fund model of, of investing uh, in order to then spend the returns a form of gambling. Uh, both uh, yourself and Anthony Albanese have pointed to the uh, very good returns over the medium and long term of the future fund. I, I just wanted to ask, um, given the expectation then is that it should be able to pay out uh, $500 million a, a year and that good years balance out bad. If it's not as risky as, as the Greens make out with that rhetoric, uh, could the government uh, agree to a minimum of $500 million paid out every year to sort of take that, that argument uh, or that concern away? Well, um, you actually said in your discussion, you, you know, your line there, Paul, that, you know, 
that the future fund has had an average of uh, 9% return every year for a decade. Uh, we know that all of the other future funds that are currently in existence, some of them under the former coalition, even though they now apparently don't want to actually support one, um, and now have a philosophical objection for some reason. I'm not sure why that's changed. Perhaps it's because it's for housing. I don't know. Uh, but all of those other funds have made annual disbursements each year. Uh, that is what has happened. Um, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, into the future, the whole point of this fund is to get it up and operating and there is a legislative review as part of the fund. Um, you know, if things aren't working or whatever, then we look at that at that point in time of the review. I mean, we've had experts say, you know, other future funds continue to disperse money. Um, you know, that is how it will work. We are absolutely um, clear that we think and all the evidence uh, shows us and the modelling shows us that we can do 30,000 social and affordable rental homes in the first five years of the fund. We absolutely think that's achievable and that's what we want to do and we want to do it on, on you know, uh, on top of all of those other things we're doing. Uh, we also, of course, have, uh, as you indicated earlier, had an agreement that of that 30,000 that each state and territory would get a minimum or a floor of 1,200. Uh, some states will obviously get much more than that. Um, you know, New South Wales has been out in recent days and the minister there has been saying that they expect they'll get somewhere between 16 to 19,000 uh, out of that uh, 30,000 social and affordable rentals. Uh, but I think the point here is, is that there is a lot of need around the country, uh, but there are also constraints in how quickly we can do things and what can be done. And I think everybody's realistic that our plan gets the balance pretty right. Mm. Now, you mentioned instances in the past where uh, action has not occurred on a, on a problem uh, because uh, some political parties wanted even greater ambition. Are, are you basically saying that, that housing is the new uh, carbon pollution reduction scheme and that the Greens will, will live, live to regret if they vote it down? Well, that's up to, to, to other parties um, about what they do in terms of our Housing Australia Future Fund Bill. What I would say is, is that... Everybody else is saying that this bill should be passed, whether it be Homelessness Australia, whether it be National Shelter, whether it be the Master Builders, the Property Council, uh, the states and territories. Um, you know, we have everybody saying that this bill needs to pass the parliament. We also know that every delay actually delays more homes being on the ground for Australians that need it most. Um, so we do need to get moving. Um, you know, I would like to see a vote uh, next week. I would like to see, uh, you know, people have to make a decision about this bill in the next uh, sitting week. Uh, we want to prioritise this legislation. We know we've got a busy week with the budget, but uh, I would say that this is pretty urgent and that there are a lot of Australians relying on it. Oh, so a decision that must be arrived at next sitting week, does that mean you're going to put it to a vote uh, even if there isn't a deal with the Greens? You're going to, you're going to make them put their put their position on, on record on it? Well, what I'm saying is, is we think the bill is urgent and uh, we want to have the debate on the bill. Now, I'm very interested in what are known as uh, NIMBY and YIMBY uh, movements, so the not in my backyard, that is to say less development, and yes in my backyard, which is to say more development. Uh, in recent weeks, we've seen the Greens leader, Adam Bant, uh, defending some of the housing spokesperson, Max Chandler-Mather's activism against particular developments in Brisbane. Uh, we've seen the New South Wales Housing Minister, Rose Jackson, uh, telling a colleague of mine at, at Tamsin at The Guardian, 
Guardian uh, that people should get out of the way of developments. Uh, are you a YIMBY like Rose Jackson? What I would say is, is that I think that um, we need to have mixed tenure of properties, social, affordable and private rentals, and we need them everywhere. And I would say to people that uh, too many Australians are having a difficult time trying to find a safe, affordable place to call home. Uh, I am concerned that we will have a next generation of Australians that won't be able to have their own home, whether that be a rental or a purchasing. Uh, So I I do think that we need planning reform, as does clearly the National Cabinet, uh, because of the decisions that were taken last week about uh, bringing people together to see what can be done to improve the processes and to make it easier, particularly for social housing, to get it on the ground. Um, You know, in talking to community housing providers, one of the things that they want to do really well is to show that social and affordable and mixed tenure dwellings uh, can exist in suburbs right across Australia. I want to see them in suburbs right across Australia. Uh, We know that with the right supports, uh, people can maintain tenancy and they can do it in a way that uh, encourages the community We also know how important it is for society and for everybody uh, that more Australians have a safe place to call home. We know that it enables people to, you know, have friends, uh, have people over, to start an education, to complete an education, uh, to, you know, go to work, to to take their kids to a local school and, and, you know, form friendships. It's so important for people to have a secure place to call home that is safe and affordable. Uh, And I think that it's something that all Australians should have access to. We also know from the data and the evidence that, you know, this fear that people have about having, you know, some social or affordable housing near them is completely unfounded. Um, You know, this assumption that somehow, you know, it's going to impact their community or their property prices If it's done well and those supports are in there to maintain tenancies, that is not the experience at all. In fact, the opposite is true. Uh, You know, you get much better cohesive communities uh, when it's done well. And uh, the Deputy uh, Queensland Premier Stephen Miles has been particularly critical of uh, the the Greens' activism on uh, developments uh, in that state, do you think there's a, a any contradiction in in them calling for more spending for housing, but then at a, a local level maybe taking a different view about particular developments? Well, I'll leave uh, individuals uh, um, to defend themselves and their positions. But what I would say as a general rule is, is people should not be opposing developments simply because they contain social and affordable housing. Uh, that that should not be occurring. It's interesting when the housing ministers have been meeting, we've been having discussions about how this works in different states and territories and collecting the data and the evidence uh, about what interventions and policy changes and innovations are happening in each state and territory. And we've provided that to the Supply and Affordability Council to have a good look at the data and the evidence around what is working and what is not when it comes to uh, how do we make this process better uh, and it's interesting because uh, when you look at some of the examples, the, the really important thing is early community consultation to make sure that people understand what is occurring. The other important thing is uh, to get homes on the ground more quickly is, is to make sure that we can streamline the process whereby um, those uh, dwellings that are proposed, where they meet uh, the planning authority, depending on whether that's local or state or whatever, uh, that they can be improved, approved in a um, quick time. And that's, I think, what the planning ministers uh, will have a look at. That's what National Cabinet has asked them to have a look at. 
um, to make sure that we can get more of these properties on the ground. But I do think that that early consultation with local communities and uh, all of us being responsible actually for having a national conversation about how important it is uh, that we do have cohesive communities and that we have a mixture of tenure. I mean, none of us want to see some of the experiments of, you know, the 50s and 60s where we had, you know, out, suburbs out and isolated that were just purely, um, you know, broadacre public or social housing. I think we learnt mistakes from that and it wasn't good for society and it's much better to have mixed tenure everywhere. So uh, I support anything that allows that to occur. We've got three more sleeps uh, to the budget, but we know the Women's Economic Equality Task Force recommended an increase in rent assistance. Uh, is this something that has to be targeted at the most vulnerable due to the tight fiscal situation, uh, or is everyone receiving that payment sufficiently vulnerable that it should be across the board? Well, I'm obviously not going to preempt with you, Paul, as you would expect what's in the budget. But as a general rule, I would say what the government has tried to do in the last budget and we'll try to do in this budget is support those Australians that are having a tough time, those that are doing it the toughest. Uh, what we want to be able to do is support people in a way that doesn't add substantially to inflation because we all know we have a big inflation problem. Uh, so we did that last time, obviously, with things like cheaper medicines and cheaper childcare. Uh, we're going to do that. We've already talked about some energy relief for low-income households and for small businesses in the coming budget. And we're looking right across the board about what does this look like and uh, how do we provide that cost of living relief to those Australians who are doing it the toughest. Uh, you know, what we do and what I want to do as the Minister is listen to experts uh, you know, we've now got up our National Supply and Affordability Council about uh, to look at evidence and provide independent advice uh, on matters around housing, and I'm sure that they'll do that. It was great to have actually the chair uh, talk to the housing ministers, the state housing ministers on Wednesday, and have a good talk to us about the work plan for the Supply and Affordability Council. But I think that it's important that we, across the board, look at data and evidence about what works uh, whether it be things like um, government subsidies or whether it be things like um, rents or whether it be things like planning and land supply, uh, I do think that as a government it's prudent on us to look at data and evidence about what will work and be the most effective. Uh, is the concern there that without more supply, if you increase rent assistance, it's just more money for, for the landlords, that they just scoop it all up? Is that is that what the concern is? or? Well, what, as I've said, as a general rule, we, we are looking to, to provide support to those that need it most in a way that doesn't add to inflation. And uh, we also want to make sure that um, anything we do doesn't add to that inflation and that we want to make sure that uh, in the future as we make decisions that they're based on evidence and data. Uh, there'll be incentives for build to rent in the budget. Uh, how important is that measure to solve the housing crisis? Well, what we want to do is we want to encourage um, more build-to-rent in Australia. Um, we want to make sure that um, we're getting as much supply on the ground as quickly as we can. And one of the things that we have been told uh, that we should look at is uh, changing the tax withholding rate and the depreciation rate in terms of build-to-rent. So that is what we have decided we would do. Uh, so from 1 July, um, in terms of the withholding rate, we'll go from 30% to 15% for foreign investors. So that that is targeted, as I talked about before, about institutional investment, so things like overseas pension funds and the like, investing here in Australia. And the depreciation will go from 2.5% to 4% a year for eligible build-to-rent projects that are new that start construction after budget day. Mm -hmm. So we, we expect, and industry tells us, that this will add to supply 
Uh, so um, that is why we're making these changes because we want to do that and we want to try and get some of that institutional investment coming and in. And is there any modelling about uh, how, how much of a contribution to supply that would make? Uh, well, people are saying it will be substantial, um, tens of thousands substantial. Various people have different forms of modelling on it. But um, uh, we want to do whatever we can do to get more supply on the ground more quickly. But obviously, as I keep saying, it has to be the right homes in the right places. As we talked about earlier, Paul, it's about making sure that we do also get, you know, some mixed tenure and that uh, we need to make sure that key workers and essential workers uh, in regional towns and that people can live close to where they work. We need to make sure that they're well-located homes as well, which is also what part of our National Housing Accord is about, you know, where we added additional funding for another 10,000 affordable rental homes and we've got states and territories to agree to match that. So right across the board, uh, they do need to be the right homes in the right places for those Australians that need them. Mm. There were also uh, eligibility uh, changes to uh, some some uh, home-building programs Uh can I ask, um, does that were those programs undersubscribed under the current rules, or will those changes in eligibility see see more people able to access them? Or, well, what we're seeing, particularly in relation to our regional first home buyer guarantee, was that that is going incredibly well. Uh, what we saw with some of the um, family home guarantee, the home guarantee scheme actually is the overall scheme, but with the family home guarantee is is that there weren't as many as we were anticipating and we had had, importantly, we had had uh, people contact us that were ineligible uh, for reasons that to me seemed quite um, uh, unfair. So I thought that it was time that we changed some of the rules and broaden uh, the schemes, uh, particularly in relation to, uh, for instance, you know, uh, in one of the schemes, single parents who had, um, you know, full guardianship of a niece or a nephew but were told they weren't eligible to, for the scheme because they weren't a natural or adopted child, for instance. Um, you know, things like that, things where you'd have brothers and sisters who had decided that they would purchase their first home together but because they're not a couple under the terms, they weren't eligible. Um, so, you know, I think it's about us more moving with the times uh, and making sure that we can support uh, more Australians into their first home. Uh, and one of the other really significant changes is we get all the time that uh, everything's aimed at just first-time buyers but there are a lot of people through uh, no fault of their own who've had financial difficulty, lost a job or, you know, family family breakdown who have not had a home or owned a home uh, for a very long period of time. Uh, so we have put in that uh, if you haven't owned your own home uh, for more than a decade that you would be eligible for these programs to allow those people back into the market with some support. So we wanted to make sure that, uh, as I said, we move with the times and acknowledge what is happening out there in the Australian community. Now, the Housing Affordability Future Fund is only uh, one part of the puzzle. Uh, you're also working on a 10-year housing and homelessness plan. Uh, how ambitious will, will that be uh, in terms of helping to solve the, the housing crisis? Yeah, this was an election commitment and it's, you know, been asked for by a lot of experts around the country to make sure that we have a long-term plan rather than just short-term solutions. So obviously our Housing Australia Future Fund sort of feeds into long-term plans as well. But what we wanted to make sure was to make sure that we have a, a national housing and homelessness plan that gets input from everybody. So from people with lived experience, so people that are homeless or who have been homeless, 
homelessness service providers, um, local community organisations that are involved in uh, other supports for people who have been homeless, uh, community housing providers, the construction sector, uh, you know, the property industry, uh, everybody right across the board really, and about including states and territories and other and local government, is about uh, we need a plan, we need to agree on the things we can agree on and head in that direction and all go in the same direction because no tier of government, no sector is going to be able to solve this housing challenge alone, so we all need to work together. So let's get down on paper uh, where we're all headed and let's look at the things we can agree on and then let's look at some of the things that need more work uh, and or things that we think are going to take more time to resolve and let's, you know, put them to, to the side, but let's have some outcomes I would like to see some tangible outcomes in the short, medium and long term over the plan. We're talking about um, a 10-year plan with two five years, with two lots of five years, so that there is some longevity to it. Um, you know, I'm not going to say what's going to be in the plan or not in the plan because I want to get that input from right across the community, from Australians, about what they think should be in a national housing plan and a homelessness plan. Uh, and I think that it's important that we take into consideration that feedback. Uh, we will provide an issues paper to spark um, discussion and debate. We're currently working on that and consulting with states and territories on that. Uh, we hope to have that out in coming weeks and start consultations uh, within a month. Uh, just, just one last one, a bit of a novelty question. Uh, you're one of the mo you're the most senior Tasmanian in the in the Albanese government, I believe. Can you uh, explain to a dummy, or in this case, a dummy mainlander, uh, what the deal with the stadium is, and uh, are you excited about the the prospect of a of a Tasmanian AFL team? I've long been a supporter of a Tasmanian AFL team, Paul. I've been a supporter for many, many years, as many Tasmanians have. Um, you know, I grew up uh, with uh, great Tasmanians like, you know, Daryl Bordock, Rodney Ede and Peter Hudson in the AFL. Uh, you know, we had a lot of talent going to the AFL and I think it's about time the AFL did recognise that uh, uh, they have taken a lot of talent out of this state into the AFL and that uh, we feel that um, we'll have a great team uh, we look forward to supporting an AFL team. Uh, I have been on the record that I didn't think it should be contingent on having to have a stadium built, uh, and uh, that is the case. But I do support the development of the Macquarie Point plan, which is where the stadium will be, and I think that it's important that we develop that site. It's been, you know, derelict for over a decade, and uh, we funded, uh, in fact, the Prime Minister funded when he was then the Minister, um, the site to be further developed and to have it cleaned up um, down on the wharf. We're talking about, I think it's nearly 11 hectares. It's quite a site. Um, there's plenty of uh, space down there on the waterfront and it's an ideal location that if we activate it right, if we get it right, we'll provide economic development and growth for Tasmanians that will return income for Tasmanians over the long term. I'm also really pleased that as part of the discussions, we've got the state government to include some social and affordable mixed tenure housing with some private uh, as part of the precinct. Uh, and uh, I hope that uh, we see more than uh, they're currently committed to. Uh, I also, of course, am really pleased that uh, as part of uh, those discussions, we've got the state government to agree to upgrade um, what's known as Macquarie Wharf Number 6, which is where the berth for the Antarctic vessel Nainia um, should be. Uh, there have been some issues around the port about it not being able to support the nine year and some discussions that maybe the boat might need to go somewhere else, but this will maintain Hobart as our Antarctic gateway as a nation, uh, and I'm really, really pleased about that. So it's a broad 
um, I suppose, development there at Macquarie Point. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, many Tasmanians will be really pleased to see some activity down there. Mm-hmm. I grew up watching the Sydney Swans when they were under the stewardship of Rodney Ede. I didn't realise he was, he was a Tasmanian, but I have fond memories of uh, watching him absolutely lose his block uh, during the, 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 the third quarter uh, psych-up. So. <laughs> Tasmanians can be very, very passionate about our football. Uh, and indeed other sports. <laughs> um, you know, we're very proud Tasmanians down here. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of um, our housing generally, you know, we're talking about the national plan. Uh, and one of the things I probably didn't say that I should have is this, one of the things we really want to do is line up the National Housing and Homelessness Plan with the uh, commitments from the National Housing Accord and then also with the next Commonwealth State Housing Agreement, which is also up um, in 1 July 2024. And we think if we align all those together in terms of having some outcomes, um, that will be much clearer uh, and much more defined and we'll get much better outcomes. I think that might be a good note to end it on. Th- thank you so much for your time, Minister Collins. Really appreciate the chat today. Great chatting to you. This episode was produced by Camilla Hannan. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. Next week, it's the budget, so make sure you tune into the podcast next Saturday. Thanks for listening. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.